On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. Nehemiah 9, 1 through 3. Father, as we have our Bibles or our apps and we open up to Nehemiah 9 and and 10 this morning, Lord, and and as we look into the Word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just begin to um, touch every single one of us this morning. Maybe there's a nugget of truth or there's something that you want to deposit in our spirit or or there's something that we need to work on or we need to change in in our lives or in our attitudes or in our personality that maybe isn't pleasing to you, but, Lord, has brought destruction to your name or to your kingdom. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through his word. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God this morning. And like I said, if you have your Bibles, you might want to open it up. Or if you have your app, maybe you might want to open up your app. The bottom line is this, friends. Living in sin and when we live in shame, they will always hinder healing from happening in our hearts. They'll always hinder healing from happening in our hearts. And, and we need to remember that. If you're taking notes this morning, that living in sin and shame will always hinder healing from our hearts and in our lives. And the people of Israel came to an understanding in their hearts. They came to an understanding in their mind. They came to an understanding in their soul that God was their creator. I want you to listen to me this morning. God is the creator of heaven and earth. God is the creator of your life. And when he created you, just like Campbell's soup, he said, mm-mm-mm, it is good. Amen? Look at somebody and say, you're good. You're good. He alone, they realized as they, as they looked at their lives, that he was their sustainer. Just like he was for them, we need to remember that God is our covenant maker. We need to remember that God is almighty. We need to remember this morning that God is our provider. Who, he is the one who is full of justice. He is the one who is full of mercy. He's abounding in steadfast love for each and every single one of us. He is our father. He is our teacher. He is a conqueror. He is a sin forgiver. He is awesome. He is righteous. He is holy and altogether perfect in all he does. He is our advocate. He's enduring. His, his endure, he's enduring. He's faithful to heal us of our hurts. He's faithful to destroy our enemies because he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Somebody give him praise in this place. Amen. But living in sin and shame will always hinder healing from happening in our hearts. But that's what happened. The beauty is this. Healing always begins, if you want to write this down, healing always begins when we humble ourselves and confess. Everyone say confess. When we confess our sins to God. You might say, well, Pastor, why, do you, why, do you, why are you going to talk about confession? I mean, I know there's certain religions that focus on confession and all that stuff, you know, and there's a red light and a green light when they go into the room. No, 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 that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, it says in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins. Now, confess in the, is in the present tense. That means we should do it daily. We should do it decisively. We should do it with, with intention, with purpose. When it comes to our sinful life, confessing something is more than just saying what a lot of us will say to bed when we go to bed tonight. Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I did this and this and this. Confession is more than I'm sorry. And matter of fact, that's not really what confession is. What confession is is saying I did this. I'm guilty as charged. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my spouse. I can't blame my kids. I can't blame my employer. I can't blame. I did this. It was me, God. 
That's confession. That's true confession. When the children of Israel confessed their sins, they were convicted of what they had done wrong. They knew that where they were at was not right in the eyes of God. And they were convicted of it. They were broken of it. They, they wanted to turn from it. They called out their sin for what it was and what it is. You see, the people of Israel realized that they were ungrateful. Have you ever been ungrateful? Maybe you're ungrateful today. I don't know. But they realized that they were ungrateful people. They realized that they were needy, that they were complainers. They realized that they were rebellious. They realized in that moment of, of confession to one another and to God that we read about, that they were stubborn, that they were wicked, that they were sinful, that they were lazy, that they were disobedient, that they were blasphemers, that they were idolatry worshipers, that they were prophet killers, that they were selfish, that they were forgetful of what God had done for them in the past. And they continued in that process of breaking the laws that God put forth. They went from judging one another to now judging themselves. They realized that they were guilty as charged. And they confessed their sins as they fasted, as back in those days they wore sackcloth and they put dust on their head. It was a public sign of sorrow. It was a public declaration of repentance. It goes on and says this in Nehemiah 9, 16, 17a and verse 26. It says, but they are our ancestors. They became arrogant, stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in the rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Isn't that just like sin? You, you, you know, you think, oh, if I just had this person in charge, or if this was that, or that was this, or this was that, or if I had this, or we did this, or I have more money and all this other stuff, we think everything will be fine. But it always leads us back to slavery if we're not careful. Verse 26, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. Doesn't it sound like our society today? They killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. We hear a lot about persecuting the Christian church today all over the world. They committed awful blasphemies. You see, the way we choose to live today, if you want to write this down, it'll either impact you or infect you. The way we choose to live today will either impact us or infect us. Think about that. Confession is only the beginning. What happened is eventually they chose to repent of their shortcomings because without repentance and only confession, they would have agreed that they were guilty of their sin, but their behavior would have never changed. You know, they confessed it, yes, I did this, I did that, but when you repent, you're going from not only acknowledging what your confession is saying, but you're realizing I am not going to do that, what I used to do anymore. Your behavior, your lifestyle is no longer the way it used to be. It is transformed in the renewing of your mind. In those moments of a sinful heart, they chose to learn from their past so they would become the kind of person God wanted them to be. They did not allow the sorrow of their sinful lifestyle to infect them, but rather impact them. They realized what they were doing was wrong. They realized that they needed a change of heart, a change of focus. They did not allow the sorrow of a sinful lifestyle to infect them, but rather they chose to let it impact them to focus forward on this word that a lot of us struggle with. You know what the word is? Forgiveness. We struggle with forgiving ourselves. We, we struggle with forgiving others. We hold on to things. We, we remember them. We replay them. And we build these walls to eventually where they can't even see us and we can't see them. Because what happens is bitterness creeps in, resentment creeps in, and all sorts of things that were never supposed to be in place simply because we didn't focus forward on forgiveness. But they did. 
And they experienced a new life and they experienced a joy unspeakable and full of glory as they grew in their relationship with this everlasting father. They chose not to manipulate God after that, which sometimes people do. They manipulate God after they repent by saying to him, hey, wait a minute, we repented to you. Where's our blessings? Show me the money. Come on, God, give me the benefits without the responsibility. They didn't do that. They didn't wallow in condemnation, but rather they chose to live in conviction from God's word that was being instructed to them on a daily basis. Friends, before you can impact the world, before I can impact the world, before we can impact the world, we need God to heal us from our infections, from our shortcomings, from our messes, so that through him we can, the world will receive Christ in us and through us. Amen? It's the truth. Church, I want you to listen to me today. Listen to this nugget of truth. Choose wisely. Everyone say wisely. Choose wisely because when things are going great, here's what happens. And have you ever noticed this? It's the same way. We were the same way the children of Israel were. When things are going great in our life, that is when you can easily drift from God. It's so easy to drift from God when everything is on easy street, when everything is on cruise control, when everything is going great in your life. It's so easy to drift from God and chase after the pleasures and the idols of this world instead of the the word of God or instead of pursuing and getting involved in church or going to church or whatever it may be in your life that helps you to grow in the Lord and the power of his might. That's what happens. So, So we read about in Nehemiah 9, 17b through 21 and then verses 27 through 31, it says this. Nehemiah 9, 17b, but you are a forgiving God. Some of you need to remember what God is and who God is. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Oh, what a God we serve. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It goes on and says this. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were taken. Verse 20, you gave, your, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. Verse 21, for 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. And from heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, as soon as they were coasting, as soon as they pressed cruise control, as soon as everything was on easy street, just like us, what did they do? Listen to what it says that they they ended up experiencing in that moment and, and what took place in their lives and what they were doing It goes on and says this, they did again what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances for which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turn their backs on you. Can you imagine what God must have been thinking? I've done this 
over and over. They cry out, I do this for them. Some of you are like, yeah, I know what that's like because I'm a parent. You know, and I, I know what that's like or whatever it may be. Think about that. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. Aren't you thankful that God's patient this morning? I don't know about you, but if, if, if my kids do something that, that gets under my skin, I'm not patient. I react. I don't respond. But thank God we serve a God who is patient. Some of us in this room, you need to learn to be patient. You're not patient, and God's trying to wake you up this morning, not to hurt you, but to heal you. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention so you gave them into the hands of their neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Somebody in this room should say, thank you, Jesus. Somebody in this room should be lifting their hands or their feet, clapping their hands. Because what you are reading about back then is still applicable to today. He is a gracious and merciful God. I want you to understand, friends, that in the society that we live in, there's a certain places where you drive in this city and there is a speed limit. You can only go 25 or 35 or 55. Yes, there's some of you in this room that love the Audubon where there is no speed limit or certain areas of Montana where you can put your pedal to the metal and just see how fast you can go in your Pinto or your Gremlin or whatever it may be. But the bottom line is this, friends. I want you to understand this morning. God puts no limits. Everyone say no limits. God puts no limits on the number of times that we can come to him, that we can obtain something like his mercy. But we must come to him in order to obtain it. We have to go to him. You can cry out all you want. You can say whatever you want. You can click your shoes and say there's no place like home. But what you got to do is you got to walk. You got to get out of the boat if you want to walk on the water. And a lot of times we don't want to get out of the boat, but yet we get frustrated with God. I'm, God, where are you? God has no limits on the number of times we can come to him to obtain his mercy. But we must come to him to obtain it. We've got to do the natural and trust God to do the supernatural. In this chapter, we see what rebellion produces, but we also see what forgiveness does. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that, that in the midst of our rebellion and what it does and what it produces, there's always grace, there's always mercy, and there's always forgiveness. The priests recalled all the good things God had done for them. And, and uh, the problem with the children of Israel was that when things were going great, they forgot about what God had done. They forgot about it. They chased after other idols. They chased after other pleasures. They left their first love for the things of this world. And oh, how many times in this room have you or you know someone that you love or care for has walked away from their first love and is now pursuing the things of this world? Which, if you think about it, they ultimately lead to emptiness. They ultimately lead to emptiness. So if you want to write down this, no matter how bad we fell, no matter how rebellious you and I might become or prideful we might become, when we cry out to a holy God, he still has compassion to forgive us. I love that. He wants to help you. He not only wants to forgive you, not only does he want to help you, but he wants to deliver you from the hands of your enemies. Oh, wow. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever confessed a sin, but you never felt forgiven? 
You know, you, you would repeat it. Like I remember when I was a teenager, I'd always, Father, forgive me for cussing and having a foul mouth at school. Or I didn't mean to say that. And then I'd do the same thing over and over. Or, or there's times where I, I asked him to forgive me and I, I didn't really feel his forgiveness. I was going on feelings. I was going on, on my emotions. I want you to remember this. Your forgiveness depends on God's faithfulness, not your feelings. Too many of us in this room base our forgiveness based on how we feel rather than on the faithfulness of God. And we need to remember that. God is faithful and your feelings are not. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But we don't, we don't accept that because we base it on our feelings. Wasn't there a song called Feelings? You know, back in the 70s. or I don't know when that song was thought about. Now some of you are like, great, now I'm not going to get that song out of my head, Pastor. Thanks a lot. Feelings. If you admit your fault and you turn from it, let me tell you, friends, you can anticipate God's faithfulness. If he was faithful for the children of Israel back then and what they went through, you might say, well, I've never murdered a prophet or I've never done this or that. I mean, he's faithful. Oh, he's faithful. Because he is faithful and just, he will deal rightly and righteously with our sin. When we, when we repent, when we, when we choose to change, time and time, God has compassion on us. He displays his faithfulness no matter how many times we fail or we fall short of his glory. We need to remember that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. We need to remember that today. God was faithful. He was gracious. He was true to his promises. Despite their rebellion, God showed them grace and God showed them mercy. Time and time again, when we confess our sins, God not only pardons us, he wants to purify us. He wants to cleanse us. The Bible says not only if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever noticed that if there's been a couple of days that, that you haven't taken a shower, that you just kind of feel gross? And you're like, man, it's been two days since I took a shower. It's been three. I, I need to take a shower. You can smell it. Others might be able to smell it. And when you take that shower, you feel so cleansed in your spirit. You feel so refreshed in your spirit. I want you to understand that that is what happens when we confess our sins to God. That is what happens when we repent. The Lord not only forgives us of our sins, but he wants to cleanse us from all unrighteous acts. All unrighteous thoughts. All unrighteous habits. He desires to do that. So it goes on and says in Nehemiah 32 through 37, if you're following along in your Bible or in your app. In Nehemiah 9, 32 through 37, it says this, Now therefore, our God, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem to uh, trifle in your eyes, the hardship that has come on to us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and our prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the king of Assyria until today. Verse 33. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. In all that has happened in America, in all that has happened in the world, I want you to listen to the voice of the Lord this morning. He has been righteous. He does not compromise. He does not change. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. They knew it. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying their great goodness to them in their spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you 
or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produced. Because of our sins. You see, it wasn't on what someone else did. It wasn't on what someone else wasn't doing for them or whatever. It was because of our sins. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. All that they worked for wasn't even, they weren't even experienced the benefits of the responsibilities that they were doing. It was going to someone else. It goes on and says, they rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. See, friends, what happened was there was an aha moment. There was something that came on in their lives to where the people of Israel knew it was their selfishness that led them to a disobedient life. You don't become a disobedient person just because of whatever. You become a, a disobedient person towards God because of this word called selfishness. We are a selfish church. We are a selfish society. There is a too much about what I want, what I need, how I want it, when I want it, and all this stuff. And the same thing that's happening in our culture today, from D.C., from the White House to the, our house, is happening in our culture today. I want you to understand, friends, that led them to a disobedient lifestyle. They realized they needed to change their attitude. They realized they needed to change their behavior because they realized that they had a selfish heart. They realized that they had a selfish heart, which will eventually lead to your demise. It will lead to your destruction. It will lead to your downfall. So, and if you want to write this down in your notes, selfishness will always distract us from living all out for God. I hear it all the time, Pastor. Man, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to go here. I'm going to, I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I thought you were going to get it. Well, Pastor, you know, I, I, I got to do some things, you know. Selfishness, friends, will always distract you from living all out for God. It's the truth. Whenever a nation turns its back on God out of selfish ambitions, let me tell you what's going to happen. They will lose their prosperity and they will lose their influence. What's happening in our nation today? We've become a joke. 401ks are going down. Prosperity is lacking. Influence is lacking when you do things out of a selfish ambition. Let me ask you this. When it comes to your work and worship, which usually comes first? Think about that. When it comes to what you do with your money, who comes first? Yourself or your Savior? Only you know the answer to that question. Do you give God your best or do you give God your leftovers? And if you could answer the latter part of all those things I said, let me tell you why. It's because of selfishness. It's what it is. But the Bible, you know, what I love about the Bible is the people of Israel eventually came to their senses. They recommitted to obeying God. They recommitted to following his laws. They promised to distinguish themselves from other nations and live for God. They weren't trying to be like arrogant or I'm all that in a bag of chips. But they realized in that holy moment that it wasn't that society that needed to change. It was themselves that needed to change. They chose to live for God. They chose to follow God. They chose to learn from God. They chose to serve him by making a covenant before him. And if there is one antidote that will stop the spreading of selfishness and that infection from happening in our hearts and our lives, it's when you and I strive to be holy. That is the antidote that will destroy selfish living. It's striving to be holy. Why? Because the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. So now in Nehemiah 9.38, it goes on and says this. And it goes on and says in, in Nehemiah 10, 28 through 29, this as well. In view of all these things, 
We are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, our priests are affixing their seals to it. Verse 28 of Nehemiah 10. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the temple servants, and all who separated themselves from their neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God. Together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand. Verse 29. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. You see, what happened was the people began to change from the inside out. They began to change from the inside out. They chose to commit themselves and their families to living by godly principles. They chose by making a mission statement as one family to the Lord that they would be united as God's people for God's purposes. They chose to live by God, by God's precepts in his word as their guiding light. And the same applies to us today, and that is this. If you want to make great decisions, how many of you want to make great decisions? I want to make great decisions as a husband, as a father, as a minister, as a pastor, as a leader, as a a, a person, a, a part of our society. I want to do great things for the kingdom of God. I want to do great things for my family. I want to do great things for our society and so forth. But if you want to make great decisions, if you're writing this down, you and I have to live by godly principles. We have to live by godly principles. Could you imagine a sports league without a rule book? And some of you are going to say, well, that's happening now. Look what happened to this game or that game. But could you imagine if in the NFL, the, N- the NBL, um, the NBA, or college basketball, college sports, if there was no rule book, you just do whatever you want. Could you imagine if a nation didn't have legal documents to form its government? Let me have, ask you, what would happen in a sports league and what would happen in a government if there was no rule book and there was no legal documents? What would happen? There would be what? Chaos. Confusion frustration, my way, I know the rules. No, no, this is going to be the rule today, and we'll change it next week. That's what's happening in our culture today. And as a result, who is the author of confusion? It is the devil. Nehemiah and his assistants and the priests who were listed by their family names signed also on behalf of their extended family in verses 2 through 8 of Nehemiah 10. The Levites who helped the priests teach and care for the people would be compared to ministry staff leaders. They signed on the dotted line, or their names were written in, in verses 9 through 13. And it was followed by 44 prominent families along who with others faithfully served the Lord in the various ministries. Those, th- those chose to live by godly principles, not because they had to, but because they wanted to love their God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. But what were the values the Israelites chose to live by? Have you ever thought about that? We're going to read it in a moment, but they chose to obey the scriptures. That was a value they said, we're not going to compromise anymore. They chose to lead their families. They weren't dependent on the children's pastor, the youth pastor, or the senior pastor to to make their children grow in the Lord and the power of his might. They became responsible to lead their families. They chose to worship God more than their possessions. They became generous. They made church a priority. They married people who were like-minded in their faith, and they conducted their business affairs ethically. Those were the values that they chose to live by. It goes on and says in Nehemiah 10, 39 through, uh, 10, 30 through 39, it says this. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for sons. When the neighboring people bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. You see, they, they, they had ethical um, values. 
Every seventh year, we will forgo work in the land and will cancel our debts. We will assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of our shekels each year for the service of the house of God. They chose to give. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbath at the noon at the new moon feast and at the appointed festivals for all holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make an atonement for Israel. And for all the duties of the house of our God, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written. Verse 35. We also assume responsibilities for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruit of our crops and for every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain oil offerings, of the fruit of all trees and of all new wine and olive oils. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. The priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive their tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of their tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of treasury. Verse 39. The people of Israel, included the Levites, are to bring their contribution of grain, new wine, oil to the storerooms where the articles of, for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. Those were the values. They devoted everything to God for their spiritual life. Everything from their schedules to their obligations to the relationships that they would eventually have sex with in marriage and so forth with their money. And they did it without any excuses. Every aspect of their life was going to be devoted to live for God like never, ever before. But even when you make that declaration, there's still two cultures that are colliding. The culture of selfishness, which will produce division, bitterness, vengeance, pride, addiction, and brokenness. And then there's the culture of holiness which will produce the fruits of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, self-control, peace, faith, joy, and long-suffering. See, friends, when there is true repentance, when you and I are true in our repentance to God, here's what happens. You stop fighting and arguing with God. You do. And what happens is instead of fighting with God and arguing with God, you start following and agreeing with Him. That's what happens. And I know that's what happened with me when I went into my senior year of high school. I said, you know what? I'm tired of arguing with you, God, and I'm tired of fighting with you, God. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to agree with you in whatever you want me to do. The people of Israel chose to live a godly lifestyle instead of just giving God lip service. They chose not to be lethargic or lukewarm. They chose to give generously. They changed from being independent from God to trusting it with all of their heart, soul, and mind. They went from being divided to united. They went from at forsaking the church to making it a priority. They went from being greedy to being generous. They went from selfish to selfless. And the list goes on and on because they chose to confess. They chose to repent. They chose to forgive. And they chose to obey. And when a revival breaks, begins to break out, there is a change that happens not only in the church, but in a society. And that's what happened back then. 
It happens in neighborhoods and cities and states and nations in the world. When there's a revival, things begin to happen. Mental health improves. Crime begins to go down. Social unrest begins to subside. And the kingdom of God begins to get established in the hearts and minds of people to show on earth and to live like they would in heaven. People's lives are changed when they obey God and they allow him to reign over their hearts, over their minds and their desires. And friends, this morning, our relationship with God should affect our relationships, especially what we do with our time, with our material resources, in those orders. And we should follow Jesus in adversity and in prosperity. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed in this holy moment. It's these kind of messages that are kind of heavy, but not easy, but they're needed. They're important because it's one of those self-check, where am I at? What's going on in my mind? What's going on in my world and what I'm dealing with? And I have four simple questions to ask you this morning. Is there sin that you are struggling with? Or is there anything weighing you on your heart that you need to confess to God? Maybe you've been trying to be the Savior, not letting him be the Savior. I don't know what it is, but is, is there a sin that you're struggling with? Or is there anything weighing on your heart that you need to confess to the Lord? Father, forgive me for not trusting you. Father, forgive me for harboring bitterness. I don't know what it may be, but friends, now is the time to tell the Lord that. Secondly, is there someone you need to forgive? Maybe it's even yourself for something you've done or you've been doing, or maybe it's something that someone else did for you, but you realize, you know what? Jesus was on that cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. And Lord, they may have known what they did to me, but I need to forgive them. I need to release that, that weight off of my back and give it to you. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You're struggling with forgiveness or forgiving yourself. And number three, what is God calling you or challenging you in some area of your life to obey him more in? If you just ask him, he'll tell you. He'll show you. He'll reveal it to you because he loves you. He's never gonna give up on you even when you give up on yourself because his mercy and his grace has no limits.